0: Welcome to Pine Tar Podcast, Episode Six. Got a little story time for everybody. No guests planned. Got some guests lined up next week. Figured I'd uh, share another another tale from my baseball past. It was a pretty interesting day. And honestly, everybody deserves a good Bartolo Colon story. Honestly, is the guy not a modern marvel of science? When you look at his size. When you look at his baseball reference page and the amount of mileage and innings on his arm and on his body and his body type, he's thrown 3,461 innings. I mean, there's a reason why Bartolo's become somewhat a a pop culture icon in the baseball world because, I mean, look at the freaking guy. He's... He's got buttermilk running through his veins. He's got no business being out there at forty five years old, you know, log in 146 innings. He didn't pitch in twenty nineteen. But honestly, I think Bartolo is the type of guy until he's in the coffin and, you know, you make sure he's in there, like he's he's liable to resurface, you know, like a like a bad va- a bad case of the coronavirus. Um so my story Spans all the way back to Bartolo's Ohio roots in 2000. Um, I'm sorry, actually, we're gonna we're gonna go we're gonna go a year further back than that. It was 1999. He finished fourth in Cy Young voting. He went 18 and five that year for the Cleveland Indians. It was his age 26 season. It was his third season in the big leagues. buddy Justin of mine big Cleveland Indians fan loved absolutely loved David Justice his whole career he loved him when he was with the Atlanta Braves and then later with the Indians although I don't know I don't think Justice was a member of those 99 Indians he was not but anyhow it's a uh it's a September day, and my buddy Justin decides he wants to go to the Indians game, and he hits me up. Um, and he wants—he doesn't just want to go to the Indians game; he wants to see Bartolo Colon pitch. Now you got to remember, back in these days, Colon is pretty much at the top of his game. I mean, he's throwing. You know, 99, 100, and several times on the radar gun, we see Cologne hit, you know, at the stadium like 103 miles an hour. It was really something to marvel at. Like, the way his glove, the way he could make the catcher's glove pop was absolutely, like, it's just something, the raw power of it, it's just something that you can could, you could only appreciate being there live. It was absolutely incredible. And I had a great uncle who was like 80 or 82 and he lived near Cleveland. So we decided that we're going to go see Bartolo pitch actually the next day. And that that night uh, or that game that Bartolo is going to pitch he's playing So I've got my years mixed up. It was was actually 2001, so it was a couple more years into Bartolo's career. And the reason I remember that was because it was the rookie year of a guy named Ichiro Suzuki. And in the middle of that season, you've got to remember, Suzuki was rolling through the league at that point, and the, the Seattle Mariners were just wrecking baseball. And I might call this episode a little bit more Bartolo than we bargained for because it was just a weird day. The date was August 3rd, 2001. So it's still summer and we decide we're going to go up see the Indians the next day. The They're playing the Mariners who won 116 games that season. One of the most... Uh, incredible teams in modern baseball history. Suzuki rolls into town. Uh, he's hitting 330 at that point as a rookie. Uh, he he racked up uh, an incredible 242 hits that year. First year in the big league. Stole, thir- stole 56 bags, hit 350 on the nose. He's on base 381. So, my buddy's like cologne's pitching tomorrow do you want to go see him? Easy yes for me and I'm like, hey even better we can go stay at my uncle Pete's It'll be great. We don't have to get a hotel we can we can get up the next day and like chill at Uncle Pete's get down to the park early see batting practice everything everything sounded great. So I wasn't real close with my Uncle Pete, um, but, you know, I saw him at, like, family gatherings and stuff, but it had been a few years. But uh, my mom called him and said, hey, you know, do you care if the, the guys come down and stay with you? Do you want to go see the Cleveland Indians play tomorrow? And apparently he said yes. So we head uh, up by 71, about a two-hour drive, get to Pete's house, you know, maybe 9 the night night before the ball game. It's a 7 o'clock start the next night. And I show up and realize my, my uncle's aged a little bit. And it just was a real awkward... It, it was so awkward. Um, first off, it's like 90 degrees. And we he refused to use air conditioning. Um, this has nothing to do with my baseball story, but everything to do with it all at the same. So... You know, it was fine sitting in his living room. You know, he made small talk for about an hour, got caught up. He, you know, said some stupid things that an 85-year-old man who is probably heading into Alzheimer's says. He's like, you know, we're going to a Browns preseason game here in a few few weeks. You know, the Cleveland Browns. I'm like, yeah, I I knew who you are talking about. So, anyways... It's like 3 a.m., me and my buddy are sleeping in the guest room, and he goes, dude, I'm dying. I go, I am too. Like, we could not sleep. It was, it, was, it was every bit of 95 degrees in this house. I get up. I turn the air on. I hear Uncle Pete get up. He turns the air off. At this point, how awkward. I, I'm like, you know what, screw this. I, I, I get back up. I turn the air back on. I'm like I, I can't do this. I, I, this is family. This is wrong. I need air conditioning. I need this place to be at least 78 or 76 degrees. I keep my house on 69 now. You know, 69. Pete gets back up. He turns it off. This continues. This battle of of, of will continues all night long. Basically, we don't sleep. It's night. It's like 95 fucking degrees in his house. All right, my buddy's miserable. I'm miserable. Sure enough, we finally drift off to sleep, probably around 5 a.m. Because he's like, "Dude, you got to stop touching the guy's air conditioner." I'm like, "I don't give a shit. I don't care if he. I don't care if I ever speak to this man again. He's losing his mind. He's a crazy old man. And I need the air on." I didn't win the battle. Okay, if in the end the guy, he must not have slept. My 85 or 98 year old uncle, whatever, however old he was, he, the air did not stay on longer than 10 minutes. And he knew he knew that one of us were turning it on all night long. And I could not help it. So we finally drift off to sleep. And no sooner do I have, I open my eyes at probably 6.30 a.m. And I've got Pete hovering over top of me. And I'm like, oh! Like spooked, right? You know, I open my eyes and he's hovering over top of me. And I'm like, good morning. And he goes, Barbara made breakfast. That was my Aunt Barbara. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'll I'll be out in a minute. And it's like literally something you'd see in a movie. My Uncle Pete like shifts two or three steps away from the bed rather than like heading back out to the kitchen. And he stands there. And I open my eyes back up because it's freaking 6.30 and I've slept like an hour and a half. And he says it again. Barbara made breakfast, and I'm like, that must mean he wants us up, and I don't know why, and you're a crazy old man, and this house is hot as hell, so we like struggle out to the kitchen, and I don't want to like, I don't even want to eat, right, but we're sitting there at the kitchen table, and I'm like staring at my buddy, and he's staring at me, and he's like, what the fuck did you get me into here, dude, like I came to see a ball game, like I'm mis- you know, it-, it just was a nightmare. And neither of us ate our breakfast. We basically fed it to their dog, Muffin, who was this little Yorkie that was, like, under the table, nipping at our feet. And I, I just, like, let her eat the breakfast. I didn't want it. I didn't even want it. And... So, uh, Pete's like, you know, what do you guys have planned for today, boys? And I'm like, well, hey, we're going to the Indians game tonight, as my mom mentioned. And we just figured, you know, we'd chill here for a couple hours, you know, maybe hit hit your neighborhood pool. And, uh, you know, then maybe head over to the ballpark around like four o'clock and, you know, get down there for batting practice. And all of a sudden he's, he kind of got this like frown to his brow. And he said, uh, and this, this is important to the story. And he's like. Oh, oh! uh oh, Muffin doesn't like strangers. And then I heard his wife, my Aunt Barbara, who was just as crazy as him, obviously. And she's like, Oh, yeah, Muffin doesn't like strangers at all. And my buddy looks at me, and he goes, Muffin doesn't like strangers. And we both knew what was happening. It's 7 a.m. And Pete's like, I'm like, Well, yeah, I mean, but like well, like, we don't have anywhere to go, really, and he's like, well, I, you know, we're we're going out for errands all day, boy, and uh, a muffin doesn't like strangers, and I'm like, oh, Jesus, please, please do not go, do not tell me what I think you're telling me, and so I'm like, in a half voice of sarcasm, I'm like, well, I guess we could just get in my buddy's car and head downtown and hang around aimlessly all day until the game starts, expecting this crazy old man to step in and say, yeah, that, you know, that, don't do that by any means. No, that's not what he says. What he says is, uh, that'd be, that'd be great. Uh, that'd that'd be great. I'm like, you have got to be fucking kidding me. So we like pack our things up and like we're out of Pete's place, his 98 degree place by probably 8 a.m. And we're like heading downtown Cleveland to wander the streets without food, water or toilet for the better part of a a 90 degree blistering August day. And, and this is all so we can see my my buddy wants to see cologne pitch and I like I love baseball like I'm all for it, right? I want to see Ichiro. Well, we wander around Cleveland. We walk the entire city. We go down to the lake. We go to the mall. We go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, we walk the entire city twice, it seemed like. And we're, like, looking at our watch, and it's still only, like, 2.30. We've still got hours before we can get in the park. I think batting practice for a 7 o'clock game back then opened at, like, 5.30. Or of course, like five thirty five when you want to get in the gates most, it's always that damn five thirty five. You all know what I'm talking about. It's that extra five minutes that just you want to just rip the usher's head off and say, Let me in. So we've still it's like two thirty and we make our way back towards the ballpark because we have like no juice left in our legs. We didn't like bring a ton of money. We're both a couple poor college kids at that point. And my buddy's like, well, you know, there's the player parking lot. And back at, like, old – we call it old Jacob's Field. That's what Cleveland was called back then. It wasn't progressive. It was Jacob's Field. Back then, the player parking lot was, like, you just, you could see the players pull right in and what they drove and where they parked. And they would come over to, like, this, this like, fence, this, like, nice fence. And they could sign stuff through the fence. So my buddy's like I'd really like to meet Bartolo he says. And yeah, you know, he's I mean the guy's got a Bartolo like crush at that point. And I'm like yeah, that's cool. We can do that and we see guys start to file in one by one. You know, I remember um Juan Gonzalez pulling in in some sick ride. Um and that was a big year for for Juan gone. He Oh, I want to say he drove in like something insane, like 160 runs or something. But, you know, the players are rolling in one by one, and, like, obviously no cologne in sight. And it's just us kind of standing around, a couple other fans, and then there's this one shady guy. Just a weird guy. And when I come back, I am going to tell you guys about how we got a lot more Bartolo than we bargained for on this day. And damn you, Uncle Pete wherever you rest so there we are we're standing at the fence and there's this shady looking 50 year old guy who looks to be Latin uh, of some uh, Latin origin and he like he's like sitting on like either a bongo drum or a rock or in any event he calls us over and he's like hey buddy he's like you know you fly I buy. and I'm like huh he says, you fly by, yeah, you run down to the gas station there, you get me a soda, like, I'll, I'll buy you one, and I'm like, you know, like, I was like, I, I, I'm i good, man, and we get to talking to this guy, and we're having a combo with him, we tell him we're there to see, you know, Bartolo Cologne, you know, he Cologne's pitching tonight, we're excited about it, mostly my buddy talking about it, his fast, his, his Cologne obsession, and, uh, Every time a player would drive by and pull in the player parking lot, the guy would stop mid-sentence from talking to us. And he would—he tr- knew all the players, or it seemed like, and a player would, like, look at him, and it's like they saw somebody with the Black Plague. They wanted nothing to do with this guy. And he would, every single Indians player that pulled in the parking lot, he had something to say to... Like, you know, he knew him on a first name basis and they just didn't, they did not want to talk to this guy. And I thought that was a little strange. And so the story starts to get pretty interesting here. So my buddy is like, dude, did you see the way, you know, I forget. He's like, did you see the way like Kenny Lofton like looked at him? And I'm like, yeah, it was pretty freaking weird. And he gets out, like, this cooler, say, and he's got, like, a bucket of memorabilia. And he's like, what do you want? You know, how much money do you guys have? You want a signed ball of, of like, Kenny Lofton? You want a signed ball of – he names, like, every player. And we're like, no, nah, man, like, we don't have 120 bucks for a ball. Like, we barely had money for a ham sandwich today. And the guy's like, yeah, you don't want balls? Yeah, that's fine. He's like, you know what? I, he's like, how about some cleats? He's like, "You what What guy do you want on the team? You want their cleats? And I'm like, I so pretty soon, this guy, he's like, you're here to see Cologne, right? And um, we're like, yeah, Bartolo Cologne. we're like a half freaked out at this point. Half freaked out. Well, we were about to get real freaked out. So this guy is some type of hustler who who had some type of inner workings or dealings with the Indians players on the entire team, and he would obviously stiffed every single one of them, and that's why he was getting the looks he was from them. It was some memorabilia guy or some hustler that had just not done right, not done his part, screwed him out of money, something. Well, he says, ah, you know, Bartolo, he said, I know his whole family. I know his wife. I know his kids. He pulls out a family photo album of Cologne, and we're like, he's like, what do you want? I've got anything you want. Like, he offered us everything short of, like, signed teeth of bartolo cologne he's like do you want to he's he's offering to sell us pictures of his family like we're we're completely freaked out if you're like that's freaky yeah that's how freaked out we were but we let this guy keep talking because we're half scared and it's half interesting and he's he's flipping through a photo album of like you know him with this 103 mile an hour flamethrower he's holding his kids he's you know and so I get talking to the guy. I'm like, how did you get all this? He's like, I know him from back home, you know, and, and where, where Bartolo was from, this guy also happened to be from. And uh, he was from Dominican Republic, uh, Porto Plata or something. And he'd known Colon since his childhood. And Colon happened to be the player that got him connected with all the other Indians players. Well, Something had gone wrong with that relationship between Bartolo, who we were there to see pitch that night, and this gentleman that we happened to strike up a conversation with because we're wandering around the city of Cleveland all day long, probably on the verge of dehydration and death. So this guy's like, ah, you know, you what, you don't want to buy his family photo album? We're like, dude, we. it's not that we don't want to buy it. I mean, it's not that we're scared shitless of you. we don't we don't have the three thousand dollars you want for like this guy's family photo like we didn't even know how to react at this point it was half neat and it was half scary and it was everything you can imagine and this guy's telling us stories of cologne and pretty soon the, the combo gets pretty ugly he starts telling us about how you know because I asked, how did you get these photos of you know his entire family? And you know, he says how well he knew Bartolo, and he says that you know Cologne stiffed him over a ton of money, and Cologne, Cologne's Cologne's sixty thousand dollars in the hole to him, and all all he's got are these 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 possessions of Cologne's, not the sixty thousand. So Cologne had he, this guy had either stolen the family photo albums and these. Bartolo Cologne heirlooms which I can't even remember what they were they were some type of you know different like trophies and rings and you know stuff of that nature but it was Bartolo Cologne stuff at one point and for the right price it could be had off this hustler so pretty soon this guy is starting to talk more and more about Cologne and how Cologne is in the hold of him for thousands of dollars and They used to be best friends, and now he hates his guts. He hates his guts, and he wishes his career... He said his career is not going to last much longer, and I said, why is that? And this is where my friend got scared shitless, and I did too. The guy says, because I placed a voodoo curse on Bartolo Colon. And I'm, like, standing there, like, you know, what the fuck... Yes, I pl- I placed a, a curse on him, and this is how I did it. It's a voodoo curse. He says, "It's an old, it's an old Dominican curse," and he's like, "You you you use sugar and you use honey and you you take a little baseball card of cologne and you wrap it up in the honey and the sugar, and then you know he goes through this whole ritualistic fucking curse he's put on cologne, right?" crazy. Me and my buddy were like, alright, okay, we need to uh, get going now. It's been really nice chatting with you. (sighs) I'll never forget that. It was the weirdest fucking conversation I've had to this day around a baseball field, and I don't think anything will ever top it. So, finally, it's time to get into the stadium for batting practice after we're completely exhausted, and this guy scared the bejesus out of us. And, uh, He's told us, you know, Cologne's career is not going to go on much longer. And because he's placed this voodoo hex curse on him, and he's gone into intricate detail. If we ever want to place a voodoo curse on a ball player, here is the step-by-step of how to do it. And, you know, again, completely scared shitless. So I'll tell you how the rest of the day wrapped up in this last segment coming up of this episode of episode six of the pine Tar podcast, more Bartolo than we bargained for. So finally we're in the ballpark and I'm like, obviously dude, Cologne's got a fucking curse on him. He's not going to pitch well tonight. And my buddy's like, yeah, that was pretty scary, huh? And I'm like, "We're, we're, we're just totally taken back. So the game starts and obviously on this night, I gotta tell you, the curse did not work. Okay, Cologne is throwing smoke. He's he's absolutely shitting on these uh, these Seattle these mighty Seattle Mariners. I mean, it was something to behold. He's hitting like a hundred and two, a hundred and one on the gun, pitch after pitch after pitch after pitch. Ends up, he strikes out ten hitters on the night. The guy goes 128 inning or 128 pitches. He throws a complete game. It was an awesome game. It was one of the best pitching performances I've ever seen live. If I've seen 200 games live, it was the top five pitching performance that I've ever seen. Uh, he did walk four guys on the night. The uh, Late in the game, so he's dominating through seven frames. He's dominating the Mariners. He's got them shut out. Bottom of the seventh, Indians get nothing. He's going against Little Sparrow, Jamie Moyer, that night. Indians could not get anything going off Jamie Moyer, who pitched forever in his own right. Top of the eighth, the the Mariners are struggling, right? They cannot handle the power of Bartolo Colon. And what I remember was everything started with a little bunt by no one other than the rookie, Ichiro Suzuki, top of the eighth. Suzuki lays a perfect bunt down the third baseline, gets on base. A guy named Mark McLemore gets him over, gets him, gets him in, scores a run, and uh, John Olerud singles, gives him a two-run lead. Indians get a run back in the bottom half of that frame to make it two to one, and we're thinking like Colon's got to be, uh, he's got to be pulled at this point, right? He's he's over a hundred pitches. No, absolutely not. He had the kind of stuff where they they you don't see this nowadays, right? Young guy, he's like twenty eight, twenty nine. They send him back out there, like a hundred and twenty pitches deep. What's he do? He comes out top of the ninth, strikes out Mike Cameron, strikes out Carlos Guillen, um, to finish with ten. And me and my buddy are like, holy shit. Uh, he's still hitting 100 in the ninth inning. He's throwing harder in the ninth than he was in like the first, third, fourth, fifth. He, he, it was absolutely unbelievable. Indians go down in order. Bottom of the ninth. Kaz Sasaki ends up getting the save. They lose 2-1. to one. And we drive home, and we're thinking, that was the weirdest fucking 24 hours of our life. But, nonetheless... We saw Bartolo Colon in his in his prime, in his element, you know, absolutely gassing. One of the greatest teams in modern baseball history, one of the most winningest teams of all time in baseball history. Uh, he shit on them all night long. And, you know, all in the same day we got to look at, like, family photos of him back home in the Dominican, you know, like, holding his cams, like – it felt like I knew the guy – you know, before I saw him pitch, like, I knew him a lot better than I ever planned on. Like, basically knew him from his very... He told me that Bartolo learned how to uh, learned how to play baseball by taking rocks. And he knew Bartolo when he was a boy. And Bartolo would take rocks and sling them at coconuts to knock them out of trees. And he knocked fruit out of trees when he was a kid throwing the rocks as hard as he could, and that's how he built up his arm strength as a young, young, young kid in the Dominican. That was pretty interesting to hear. So, anyways, all these years later, I can guarantee you that is probably one of the most interesting and true Bartolo Colon baseball stories you'll ever hear, and it was on, honestly, one of the most dominating nights of his entire career in which uh, he came up just a little bit short but unbelievable display of pitching and absolutely worth, uh, us laboring through, you know, that night before with an uncle who, um, was later diagnosed with Alzheimer's because he, uh, was, he was losing his mind. It was obvious, but glad we made the trip. Glad that we, we weathered the hot day and, and got terrible sun poisoning, sunburns, um, a day I'll never forget. And, uh, just a story I had to share on the Pine Tar podcast. Hope everybody has an awesome weekend. And uh, thanks for listening in tonight, guys. This is Clint signing off.